Thank you, everybody. It's absolutely grand to see you all this morning. It really, really is. Yes, the, if you get a chance later, after the kids come out... Am I ringing? Am I just a bit... Sorry. Uh, after the kids come, go, come out of the kids' cave, please go and have a look. Some people have done absolutely fantastic work getting that ready. They properly have. It looks absolutely fantastic. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, please feel free to turn to Luke 15. That's where we're going to go. Um, I read at the start of Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, hmm, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told this parable. And then Jesus proceeds to tell three parables. Firstly, a person with a hundred sheep loses one of them. And then finds it again in open country. And rejoices with his friends and neighbours. That, that reckless love song we were singing just a minute ago. The bit where he leaves the 99. That's, that's talking about this. That's talking about alluding, no, not even alluding, actually talking directly about this, this parable. He leaves the 99 and goes and finds the 100 in open country. Then Jesus tells a second parable about a woman with 10 coins who loses one of the coins and then finds it again somewhere in her house and rejoices with her friends and neighbours. And then Jesus tells the third parable, finally, which actually I'm going to read out in a minute. A man who has two sons, but who manages to lose them both for a while at least. So I'm going to read Luke, Luke 15. So I'm going to paraphrase the start of the story because I want to talk about the end of it really. So a man has two sons, and the younger, younger son says, Dad, I wish you were dead and I want your money. So he takes his inheritance and runs off and spends it like a drunken sailor and then gets a job peeding pigs when he's nothing left. So from verse 15, he, the younger son, longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Not filled the catted calf, that's a different thing. Has killed the fatted calf. 
because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, in all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm just going to pray for, for us. Lord, well, thank you that you chased down the 99. You chased down the one. Lord, you chased down the 99. Lord, you chased down the one. You care so much about us. You search for us. You search for us when we're lost and you find us because you know where we are. Lord, this morning I pray that, that all my fancy words and stories just fall to the ground. That the words you want me to say, the words you want us to hear, fall into our hearts and produce that harvest you desire. Amen. So, I always find it interesting slightly worrying when I read the word Pharisees and teachers of the law in the, in the New Testament bits. Not so much in the Hebrew Scriptures, but in the New Testament bits, it just it gives me the shivers a little bit. Because we tend, to, we tend, when we read it, to cast the Pharisees and teachers of the law in the role as the baddies, don't we? They're, they're, sort of, they're, they're the ones that Jesus gets on at. They're, they're the butt end of all Jesus' jokes. And his scoldings and his wrath. Unfortunately, I think most people who aren't here this morning would associate them with us. When we read it, us, the good, godly, church going on the Sunday Pharisees and teachers of the law, as opposed to the great them. And the crowd of jostling them who don't believe, belong, behave like us. That's why it always worries me when I read Pharisees and teachers of the law. Because I think, I'm a leader in this church. What I'm doing now is trying to teach. In all honesty, I think because I love a good sing-song, I might, in Matthew 21, been there in the crowd, in the great multitude, singing... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I must be honest. Because of what I do. Because of my position. Because I'm an entrenched establishment figure. I have a really great suspicion that. Three or four chapters later. I'd have been in the crowd shouting crucify him, crucify him as well. We like to think we'd have all been on the right side of history. We really do. But history itself suggests a significant proportion of us wouldn't. I think that's a salutary warning in today's adversarial atmosphere. We need to be careful we're not on the wrong side of some arguments. We need to be careful that we're not seen as Pharisees and teachers of the law like we read in the Scriptures.
I also love the worst they can the worst they can say about Jesus is he welcomes and eats with people. Do you know what I mean? It's like that man, that man, he welcomes people and then he eats with them. Oh, it's like get a grip on your lives. That's the worst. They're not saying that man he joins in with the evil people doing evil things. They're not saying that about him. All the saying is, he eats with them. He welcomes them in. How? How the guy? Why can't they think of something better than that? <laughs> to be fair to the Pharisees and teach the law, they do actually have a valid point. He does do those things. He does. He does most of the things they accuse him of. That's. He just goes, yeah, you're right. Oh, you, you, you. I'm going to pick you. Pick on you. Pick on Paul because he's in the middle. You, you welcome people in and then you eat with them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jesus can't go, no, oh, no, no, I never do all that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. I do do all that. It's almost like he's going there going, yeah, and your problem with that is... You see, you see, they saw, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, saw it as the bad people making Jesus unclean. They thought the bad people would corrupt his nature. One of the, um, oh, Proverbs, one of the Proverbs says good character corrupts, bad, bad company corrupts good character. But the problem is Jesus' character was so pure and so good that none of the bad company could corrupt it. He was so close to God that nothing could pull him away from that. In fact, in reality, Paul was preaching about this just a few weeks ago. It's on the website if you want to listen to it, it's very good. He's preaching about Zacchaeus, about a transformation in Zacchaeus' life. And Jesus, Jesus was just there. He wasn't pulling Zacchaeus up, he wasn't taking him to one side and giving him some of that. He wasn't going over his accounts with him, going, oh, hang on a minute, you appear to have robbed this person here. Hang on a minute, you appear to have taken more, more money from this person than you should have done. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't a forensic accountant. That's not why Zacchaeus had a, such a massive change of heart. Zacchaeus wasn't, wasn't scared of the, of the Romans realising he'd been robbing the people. And Jesus' character alone, his presence was enough to convict Zacchaeus. His presence was enough to transform Zacchaeus' life. And other people. Without, seemingly without even trying to. Listen to Paul preaching about it. He did a much better job than me. His presence alone was enough to overcome the darkness in the people around him. Because Jesus has just told the parable of the great banquet, which probably didn't get him very many friends in the Pharisees and teachers of the law camp, because they don't come off very well in that either. So what do we see in this passage? We see a young man who realizes his mistakes and does something about it. Action in his failings rather than inertia. Inertia. That's the right response in our failings. Movement. To move. To not sit in it. To not wallow in it. To not... Again, Paul's preaching must have really affected me recently because all the way through this, again, Paul preached about this recently and he properly did as well. 
Paul preached, our Paul preached recently about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he says he has, he has a thorn in his side. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, three times I went to God, three times I went to God. And we don't, we don't know what Paul was referring to. We don't know if it was a, a physical infirmity, like whether he, he, we might, some people think that he had bad eyes, his bad or painful eyes. We don't know whether it was a, a psychological issue, like pride. Some people, people accuse him of pride. Or addiction, or crippling worry. We don't know if it was a situational issue. Maybe he had a, a relative or, or a church member who just annoyed him beyond his withstanding. And, but because he's a church leader, he can't go and batter him. Maybe, that, maybe it was that. Yeah. I don't think it matters what his particular thought Paul's. I really don't think it matters to us what Paul's particular thorn was. Only what ours is, and what we do about it. What we do know is he took it to his father. He went to God again and again. He moved. He didn't sit in it. Just like the younger son takes himself back to his father, Paul went back to our father God. He didn't just live with it. He took it to one that could do something about it. He took it back to Father God. Just like the, the young man did. And Paul takes his thorn to Father God and says, this, this thing, this thorn, do your thing, God. Do your thing, Father. And God says to Paul, I've done my thing. The Apostle Paul, I've done my thing. Grace is sufficient. I've done my thing. When Paul goes to God and says, God, do your thing, God says, I've been there before you, kid. I've done my thing. It's here. It's enough for you. And when the younger son goes back to his son, goes back to his father, what's the father's response other than I've done my thing? Quick, fetch a robe. My son is here. My son. I've done my thing. You are my son, says the father in the parable. I've done my thing already. When we go back to God, God says, I've done my thing. I've done my thing. You put it, Sorry, Paul's moved it, so I can't point to you very well. When we go back to God and say, God, this thing, God goes, I've done my thing. I've done my thing, and it was enough. The cross was enough. Action in our failings rather than inertia. That's our correct response. Now, the younger son, we also read, the, we read, the younger son went home and did this, that, and the other. And it just means the younger son went home to us. It just, but to the people listening to Jesus, they understood the younger son takes a great risk in going home in this parable. The younger son risks death by going home. And the readers would have been scandalized that that didn't happen. The younger son in the parable and the crowd listening would have known the penalty. Deuteronomy 21, penalty for being a stubborn, I'm going to read this because I like these words, a stubborn, rebellious, profligate, and drunkard offspring. A spoiler alert, if you are that in those days, it does not come off well for you. The, the end is messy and abrupt. And still the younger thing thinks that the younger son thinks that anything, anything is better 
than staying feeding pigs. And he's right. Anything is better than staying feeding pigs. We always need courage to move from a place of even hateful known to a fearful unknown. As much as the younger son hated feeding pigs, there must have been some fear in his heart of going back to that place where he would have known death could await him. Scripture in 1 John, the book of 1 John in the New Testament, John writes, God is love. God is love. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love, and God's love is perfect, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. We should draw strength and courage from both John's words and Jesus' words in this parable. That when we give something up, be it time or place or prominence or position or addiction or pain or pride or wealth or worry or inaction or inability or ability or past, present, future or anything else in all creation, when we give those things up for him, then his unknown that replaces our knowns is the best unknown is the best of all possible unknowns. Scripture tells us better than we could hope or imagine, better than we could ask or imagine. That's the unknown he replaces our knowns with. Didn't make any prizes. Does anybody want to tell me what best of all possible worlds is from? Come on, Tom, you read it in the French. Joe? Professor Pangloss in Candide's, um, I know it would have been, in Candide, in Voltaire's Candide. Tom read it in the French and he couldn't remember. As it happens, I would have accepted Chris Christopherson and the album Me and Bobby McGee. But. The younger son, the younger son says, make me like one of your hired men. And the father says, my son, my son, the best robes. The ring, the sandals, symbols of position, symbols of authority, symbols of acceptance. The younger son goes into the, the unknown, asking for the best he could hope for, was to be a hired man. The worst he could hope for would have been to be killed. The best he could hope for is to be a hired man. And his father says, my son... My son, fetch the ring, fetch the robe, fetch the sandals. For my son is alive again. You are still my son. I also think, when you read this, when you read the, the back end of the parable, we, we talk a lot about the younger son. We think about the younger son quite a lot. And we don't always think as much about the older son. And we assume the older son's reaction is, is unreasonable. This is another one of those... Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have been like that. I would have rejoiced. I don't think the older son's action, reaction is at all unreasonable. I really don't. So you think, can we imagine for a moment a son who has seen the torment and pain of his father, the inconsolable grief of a father who thinks his son is dead. I'm, I'm extraordinarily blessed, both my children 
with my health and theirs, I'm going to predecease them definitely. I cannot imagine what it's like to lose a child. It must be the worst. It's just the thought of losing one of his children was the, one of the few things I've ever seen my father cry about. When he thought, when he, thought he was going to lose me. The, older, the father says, you know, this brother of yours was dead. And yet, even believing his son was dead. We read when he was a long way off, the father saw him. How did he see him if he was the one he was a long way off? How did he see him if even though he believed he was dead, he wasn't looking for him? And the older brother must have lived with that every day. Must have lived with that, that pain every day of knowing that his father was in pain and there was nothing he could do about it. So to be cross to the younger son isn't unreasonable. Why was he still looking when he thought he was dead? I'll tell you why he was still looking. Because there's a chance. Because there's always a chance. He was looking for the same reason that we pray for our children or our parents or our siblings or our friends who once professed the faith we do but now don't. We even call those people prodigals. That's why the father was still looking. Because there's still a chance I said to a friend of mine a long time ago whose child left the faith. This game's not over. This is not the end. We still breathe. We're still here. We haven't seen the end of this game. When, you're, when your child walks away from the faith they profess as a child, we haven't seen the end of this game. God's still there. God's still God. He's still looking for the now one out of the 99. This game's not over. Sorry, I'm just going to cross a little bit out. And finally, the father, the father isn't kidding or exaggerating when he says to the older son, everything I have is yours. Legally, at this point, by the laws of the day, the younger son has had his share. Everything that is left belongs to the older son. All that's left is his. Literally. Not figuratively. Literally, it's all going to him. All of his. And yet the older son still feels hard done by. He still feels hard done by. I've been slaving away, he says. I've been slaving away for you. Without realizing he's not slaving away for his father. He's working for himself. It's not his father's company anymore. It's his. He's been slaving away, undoubtedly being jealous of his brother's imagined pleasures. Oh, you, this son of yours has been having, having a great time. He doesn't think this son of yours has been feeding pigs. Ha, ha, ha. It's what he deserved. He just imagines that his brother's having a great time. We mustn't do that. We mustn't imagine that. We mustn't imagine that. He's the one thinking he's not getting what he wants. He says to his father, I, I didn't get a fatter calf. I wanted, I wanted to have a party with him. You wouldn't like me. 
without realising that actually he could have had a party with his mates. could have said to his father, Dad, um, I'm just going to use some of my soon-to-be-inheritance to have a party with my mates. And his dad would have gone, cool, great stuff. Take one of the two fatted calves because we can save him one just in case his brother comes home. Excellent. He's the one feeling hard done by. Lord forbid we would ever feel like that, that we're hard done by. Lord forbid that we would ever feel we're hard done by for any of the things we do for him. It's a privilege. What we do for God is a privilege. It's not hard work. This, this isn't hard work. I'll tell you what, there's nobody that stands on this stage that would tell you it's hard work. Every, I know them all. They all know it's a privilege. They all think it's a privilege, and they're all right. It's a joyous privilege. We must remember, Romans 8, for you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if, you ch- now if we are children then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If we are co-heirs with Christ, then surely all that the Father has is ours. All that the Father has is ours for the asking. All of our Father's promises are ours for the asking. See, that's, that's the great mistake the elder son didn't they made, rather. He didn't ask. He didn't say to his father, Father, I he thinks it's slaving away. Jesus, Jesus himself in Matthew 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. He also says in Mark, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. They're in red in my Bible because they're Jesus' own words. Believe it and it'll be yours. That, incidentally, again, as Paul said the other day, that doesn't mean you can ask for mad daft stuff and get it from God. It's not carte blanche to ask for, what was the lottery, Friday lottery, 164 million? So I certainly tell you. Do you know what? Pray to God, Lord, please let me win the lottery, 164 million. I promise I'll use at least 10% of it for your glory. God's going to go, don't be daft. It'll ruin you. It'll, 10 million would do, yeah. But <laughs> Do you know what? Don't miss out on God's blessings for lack of asking for them. Don't assume like the older son that you're not going to get anything. Don't assume that oh, I'm not going to get this because oh, I'd, I'd like to ask for this, but I can't because you ask. Jesus says, ask, ask, ask and you'll get, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. Now, again, that's not to say that if you're knocking on this door, that one won't open. God won't go, no, it's this door, kid. Knock on the wrong door, this one. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. (laughs) Sorry about that. Those two words. Finally, what can we learn from this passage? You know, I saw this only recently. I read this only recently. And I realized that actually the father's actions are the same to both of his sons. Did you see that? He does the same thing to both of his sons. He doesn't treat one of his sons better than the other. When the first son's coming back, 
he sees him and runs out to him and lays hold of him like no father then would have done. The father in those times, they were upright, righteous men. They wouldn't have run. They wouldn't have run out to the child. But he did. And then when the older brother comes, the father goes out to him again. He treats them both the same. He doesn't expect the older brother to, well, I'll tell you what, come, in, come into my office and we'll talk about it. He goes out to him again. He treats both children the same. Jesus is teaching about an extraordinary father in these parables. A father who seeks us out. A father who treats us all the same, whatever our attitude is. Whether, it's, whether we're off in open country like the lost sheep. Whether we're off in open country like the lost sheep and the younger son. Or whether we're lost at home like the coin and the older son. That's why he tells three parables. All three of the parables are speaking directly to the listeners in front of him. He's not just talking to the, the crowd. He's talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law as well. He's teaching them as well. He's saying, you guys, you guys there, you good godly guys who are at home have lost it. You've lost the plot. You know, like the coin that the woman lost at home, you've lost the plot. But God will find you if you, if you ask him to. He cares as much about those who are obviously lost as those who are not, who are less obviously lost. He cares as much about those who are lost in their pride and self-righteousness and surety and pharisaicalness as he does about those who are lost in their sin and separation and doubt. He cares as much about those who nail him to the cross as those who wept at its foot. That's why at his moment of his greatest provocation, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. He cares as much. That, and that's just, that's insane. But he cares as much for the people who hurt him as the people who it hurt to watch him being hurt. And that's our God. Can I have the band back, please? I want to look at this parable again after reading these words. I think this might have been another Mark, Paul. After reading these words in Mark 10. And people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hand on them and blessed them. And I thought about, about the characteristics I most commonly associate with little children they're noisy and smelly and costly and inconvenient and incontinent which is all true but actually do you know what when we see a parent and child by and large the overriding emotion we see is trust overriding emotion we see is trust and I think these parables about this parable about lost things is actually one about trust it's a parable about trust it's a parable about lots of other things as well but it's a parable about trust 
See, the younger brother trusts that when he gets there, the father won't go all Deuteronomy on him. But love him and accept him back and care for him. And he thinks he'll accept him back as a servant. And he gets more than he can ask or imagine. He gets sonship back. He gets position back. But the older brother doesn't trust his father to ask for what's already his by right. I think this is about trust. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, Our God, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. He will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. The question I want to leave you us all with this morning, as all, is will you trust him with it? Whether, you, whether you're identified more with the younger son who's out on the lost sheep who's out in the open country or whether you identify with the older son who's lost at home thinking it's drudgery and not realising it's privilege thinking he's working for nothing instead of realising he's working for him for his own future or if you're middle son like like I was going to say, I've written like me, actually. I'm a young, I'm the youngest son, but nevertheless. If you're a middle son like me, I, I identify with both their failings. I really do. Whatever your battle is, whatever your failing is, whatever your triumph is, whatever your success is, will you trust him with it? Will you take it to him and go, oh, this, this is fantastic, Lord. But all the unknown. All the, all the know, all the stuff you know. And you take it to God and say, God, do your thing. God, do your thing. Because what he does is more than we can ask or imagine. Will you have that childlike faith, that childlike trust to walk to your father knowing that he'll snatch you up in his arms and say, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. Let's have a great time.
99 to come and chase us down, Lord. Thank you, Father. Praise your name. Amen. So that brings this part of the morning to a close now. Um, Please do hang around, have teas, have coffees, have uh, conversations with people. Just have a chat to us, get to know us, please do. Uh, There's Deborah in the connections corner over the back there. Uh, so please, if you're new here, do go and, 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 and connect. Sorry, is Claire there as well? Sorry. Hello, Claire. Yes. Uh, so Deborah and Claire over in the connections corner. Please do, if you're new, go and say hello. Uh, they'll be more than happy to, to introduce themselves, I'm sure. Uh, come back at six this evening if you're available, just for our live lounge. And there's also going to be a pub quiz there as well afterwards. So uh, all good times. Thank you. <laughs>